All right. Good morning, Three Circle. It's great to be with you guys today. All of our campuses joining us right now and online. We're going to kick off a brand new series today. We're so excited about this series because I believe and I hope that that it will change the way you live your life. I really do hope that Sunday is going to change Monday for all of us, that you will look at the world around you differently as we progress through this series. You know, we all are interested in the idea of where we came from. That's why uh, Ancestry.com has become a big thing, right? People want to know where they come from and who their great, great, great grandfather was. And we're getting into all that kind of stuff. And I think that's something kind of built in for all of us. We want to know where'd we come from. Well, I want you to know today that humanity has an origin story. We have an origin story, and we don't have to go searching for it. The Bible, the Word of God, we believe, tells us our origin story. The Word of God tells us where we came from, and we need to know where we come from. But what I want to show you is that in the beginning of Genesis, the first few chapters, not only does it tell you who we are as people, most importantly, it tells you who God is. It reveals to you who God is. And God wanted you to know who he is. He had Moses write it down. If you wonder, where did we get Genesis? Where did we get this story? How do we know what happened in the beginning? Well, God sat Moses down and told him and, and, and had him write it down for us. And I'm so grateful that he did. And we're going to explore that. Many of us look at the beginning of the Bible and the, the, the book of Genesis, especially the first few chapters, and we see it like as a kid's story. You know what I mean? And, and I want to I help you understand today, it's not a kid's story. It's our story. It's the human story. And we're going to take a look at what God has to say to us there. Uh, about six months ago, I read a great book called Characters of Creation by a great theologian who I was introduced to, Daniel Darling. If you want to write that name down, we're going to feature his book throughout the series. But that's where the inspiration from the series came from. So much so that I reached out to him. I said, hey man, your book is great. I love your work. Uh, I'm thinking of doing a series kind of on this idea that you had to look at the characters of creation. And he just immediately answered back and said, I'm so honored that you guys are going to do that. And so his book, The Characters of Creation, is great. He goes into some stuff that we won't go into. We're going to do some things he didn't do. But the idea is there. Go check out his book. As we dive in today, though, we're going to go to Genesis 1, 1 through 4. And we're going to begin, as you can imagine, the characters of creation is going to include Adam and Eve. It's going to include the serpent. It's going to include God himself. It's going to include Cain and Abel. But the first thing we're going to look at is the first character of creation, and that is creation itself. Today, we're going to look at creation. And what is it there for? What does it say to us? And I hope that it's going to be helpful to us. Genesis 1, 1 through 4 says this, in the beginning, God created. That's how you're introduced to God first. First way he introduces himself to us is creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now, we could go on, and I could show you every piece of creation, but we don't have room on the paper for that, all right? So this afternoon, you go read the rest of it, but what I've just given you is the rhythm of creation. I'm going to come back around in a few minutes and show you the apex of creation where God created humans in verses 27 and 28. But this is enough for me to give you a rhythm about creation for you to understand, and it's three things. Number one, God created all things out of the gate. Where did it all come from? God created the universe, created the world, created all things, matter, molecules, molecular structures, 
The big and the small. God created all things. Number two, he created it from nothing. He had nothing to work with. He created it from nothing. You're going to see as we look, go through this series that we create things as humans, but we don't create like God does. God didn't have anything to work with. When I was a kid, I had Play-Doh. Y'all remember Play-Doh? I made all kinds of stuff out of Play-Doh. You know, that stuff doesn't taste bad either. When you're three years old, pop it in, chew on it, like, it's not bad. You get in trouble, put it up your nose, you know, all the stuff kids do, right? But when you make stuff, you have something to work with. Humans don't create the way God did. God didn't have any Play-Doh to work with. There was nothing. He created things out of nothing. And the third thing we see here is that it's good. He said, my creation is good. Everything he made is good. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian and author, points out that, that creation is still, we see how great everything is, and this is the cursed version. This is under a curse. Like, it's not what it was, and it's not what it will be again. If it's this awesome, if rivers and streams and oceans and animal life and skies and sunsets and sunrises, if they're this great now, what in the world is it going to be like when God has made all things new? So, we look at this and we see that God is good and he made a good creation. Now, this is important because I want to talk to you for a moment about the function of creation, everything you see around you. We are living in a cathedral of the glory of God, folks. We live in a theater with a big screen screaming at us the existence of God and the character of God. Creation tells you that he is powerful and that he's good. It shows you his ability and his character. At the same time, R.C. Sproul, great theologian, said this about Christianity. He said, Christianity is not based on some speculative philosophy, but it stands or falls as a, this word's important, as a revealed faith. Folks, we have a faith, what we believe, is based on a thing called revelation. What that means is we did not make this stuff up. We did not conjure it up. We didn't put all of this together. It was given to us. We believe by God himself. We call that a revealed faith. And that brings us to this idea of revelation. When I say revelation today, I don't mean the last book of your Bible. I mean what God does. God tells us who he is. He reveals himself to us. This is important because first, the most important aim of the human experience is for you to know God. As he truly is. The most important thing in your life is not how successful you are, how good looking you are, how great your kids are, how popular they are. None of those things. Not what your bank account says right now. The most important thing about all of us is that we would know God. That's why you were created. In fact, you're hungry, you're starving for that. You'll chase a million things and nothing will ever measure up until you know God. You were made to know God. That's why you were made. And I want you to understand that you need to know him as he truly is. So I'm telling you the most important thing in your life is to know God, but I got bad news for you. You can't know him on your own. It is impossible. You can't discover him. You can't explore enough to find him. You can't climb the high enough mountain to get to him. You cannot know God on your own. And why is that? Well, humans can't know God on our own for two reasons. Number one, he's different than us. He's infinite. We are finite. And number two, sin has blinded us from seeing who he really is. We can't see his glory on our own because sin has blinded us. 
Adam and Eve initially could see the glory of God very clearly. But we have blinders on. And also, he is infinite. And that's almost impossible for you to wrap your mind around. But God has no limits. He created space, matter, and time for us to live in. And he loved us enough to come himself into it. But he's, beyond, he's above it and transcendent. Meaning, he's above and outside of our existence and enters into it. He's transcendent. But we are not like that. We are limited. Uh, I can only jump so high. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. Turns out 5'11 and a half and a, you know, 18-inch vertical doesn't get it done. You know? Just doesn't work that way. Uh, I've got limits. When people say to their kids, you can do anything you want. No, they can't. You want me to start making a list? There's a lot of things you can't do. Because we are finite. God is infinite. So we can't know him. You can't find him. And humans never would have. So first of all, I just gave you bad news. How depressing is that? Oh, thanks a lot, pastor. I come to church today and you tell me the most important thing in my life is to know God. And then you're like, and you can't. (laughs) Well, here's the good news. You ready? It's good news. God wants us to know him. How about that? This great God that creation tells you all about wants you to know him, and even better, has made it possible for you to know him through two things, general and specific revelation. This God wants us to know him. He knows he created you to know him. He knows what kind of joy it'll bring you to know him, and he's made it possible. He's the one that came to you, and he did it from the very beginning. Now, I want you to understand the difference in the two. Revelation, not the last book of your Bible, but what God does to tell you who he is, he does it in a specific way, and we would call that in a saving way. It requires specific revelation for a person to become a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. You have to know who he is. The New Testament says, how can they know if no one preaches to them, if no one tells them the gospel? So it has to get specific. It's like a funnel. You know, if you, and I've done this before, I don't know why, but if I'm pouring oil into an engine, I cannot, I can't get it in in the spot where it's supposed to be. It's going to be all over the engine. It's going to smoke for a while. So I got to use the funnel. Those of you who could just put it in there, good for you. I can't do it. I give it the engine an oil bath. You know what I'm saying? So I need a funnel. But the idea of the funnel works really well for you to understand how general and specific revelation interact. Because... General revelation is wide. It's the top of the funnel. And every human being, listen, every human being experiences general revelation. Every single one of us. Those of you who are yawning right now just took in air (laughs) that God gave you and you just experienced general revelation. You know what I mean? That's how that works. For you to be, be a Christian, it has to become specific. But that's how God made it. God gave you these general things that all humans experience telling you who he is to pull you towards the end of the funnel that says, and here's who I am. Here's my name. Here's specific revelation. And specific revelation is the Bible and Jesus, the son of God, the person of God in the flesh and his word. But today we're talking about creation and creation is what we call that part of God telling us who he is that's general. Everyone experiences this general revelation. David in the Psalms wrote this about creation and how it cries out to all humanity about who God is. He says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The glory of God, that's the term you need to know. 
because you, you may think that's just a church word. In my church growing up, people would shout that, that word, glory. And I didn't really know what they meant. But the glory of God is the weight of God, the value of God, the existence of God, the reality of God is the glory of God. And creation, it says, declares that. Look what he says. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. I love the language there. It's talking to us. Night to night reveals knowledge. Creation's talking to us, and unfortunately, we ignore it. It, even as believers, sometimes we miss just how great God is. And so today, my, I want you to never to look at the world around you the same again. Especially if you're a believer. Believers should enjoy God's creation and see it pointing to him and point it out to others around us more than anyone else on the planet. We should. Okay? Now, I bet all of you have had times in your life. Think about it right now if you would. You've had times in your life where creation declared to you the glory of God. Have you? You've had those moments? Every time one of my children were born, you know, I had the Lion King moment, hold the kid up. And I thought, this is, I could feel the presence of God. But there's a few places I've been that I wanted to share with you. And, and as I do it, you think of what yours would be. You have these places too. But there's a couple of places I've been that declare to me the glory of God in a very powerful, visceral way. Here's one. I got the chance a few years ago to go to the Grand Tetons out west, one of the greatest trips of my life. And that's the Snake River running with the, uh, the Tetons behind us. And we fly fished on that river. And the whole time I was there, I couldn't get over the glory of God. It literally, me, my wife got to go, friends, we all said it was life-changing. The glory of God. Here's another shot from the Tetons, another one of my favorite places, though. It's Jenny Lake. And it's the Tetons behind you, and you get on those boats, and life-changing. Like I, I, it was like I could hear the voice of God just screaming out, this is who I, I made this. Enjoy it. I made it. Here's another one that captured me big time. My wife and I with Compassion International did two weeks of ministry. And then on the very last day, we got to do this safari thing. And it was glory of God everywhere. It's just unbelievable. And then finally, one that hits real close to home for all of us, that's Nassar, Costa Rica. Me and my kids have surfed right there. And we've got, like I've preached right on that beach. And if you go into those trees, we have a church out there three circle that we work with incredible ministry that's one of the most beautiful places on the planet it's like a rainforest when you walk from your little place where you're staying through those trees to get to the beach there's red white and blue crabs it looks like an artist painted them and they're like looking at you and they move around look at you again it's awesome the glory of god that's my crab uh impression there which now will live in lore here at three circle uh the glory of God everywhere. But I think a lot of us think and believe that you got to get on a plane to go somewhere and see the glory of God. But I want to remind us that we live right here in a cathedral of the glory of God. In fact, just to prove the point, I want to show you everywhere we have a three-circle campus, I want to show you the cathedral of the glory of God. I give you Thomasville, Alabama on a morning, a foggy morning in Thomasville, Alabama in a grove of pine trees. Um... How about this one? That's Mobile, Alabama. That's a live oak. Live oak. That thing's hundreds of years old. They're absolutely gorgeous. The glory of God. Hurricanes come, you can almost hear those trees laughing. <laughs> because I think that live oaks, if they could talk, would sound like Sean Connery. 
Here's uh, Fairhope, Alabama. You've all seen that before, haven't you? The glory of God, declaring the glory of God with the bay and the sunsets. Go right up the road to Daphne where we have a campus, again, on the same bay, and you got these oak trees with the moss. I was reading a, a, a great author once said that our oak trees in the south look like old guys with beards, and he was talking about the moss, and I was like, what a great description. It's gorgeous, the glory of God on display. And if you ride over to Robertsdale, here's some long-leaf pines in Robertsdale with a nice blanket of beautiful pine straw on the ground, and God made that. And what I want to tell you is you and I, when we walk out our doors right here where we live, you are in a cathedral of the glory of God. And if you believe in him, then you should give him that glory. He's that good. We live in a beautiful world, even in its fallen state. And it declares to us the glory of God. And the first thing to remember about it is God created it out of nothing. In the theological world, we call that ex nihilo. God created out of nothing, ex nihilo. We do not create that way, but what we're going to find out when we get into the human side of it, we look at Adam and Eve, and, and, and we even look today at how we're to interact with creation. We make stuff too, but as I pointed out earlier, God gave us the Play-Doh set. Humans have never created anything out of nothing, ever. We are like God, but we are not equal to him. He created out of nothing. There was nothing for him to work with, and he spoke the universe into existence. And then he tells us, now go make stuff. And we make beautiful things. And it is good that we do. And Christians should enjoy God's world more than anyone else. And when we make stuff, and we all do in some way, we should see the glory of God in it. Notice it, worship him for it, and by the way, point it out to the world around us. There's no greater illustration for us to show the world. It's why we do. Look, we see the beauty of God and the glory of God in all things. In great artwork, in great architecture, in great wine, in great dancing, in great music. All of those things point to a great creator. And we get to enjoy those things to his glory. Absolutely. We should more than anyone. Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. And we step into his cathedral every day. Oh, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be a bad thing to ignore that? To miss that? He created out of nothing, and his creation is three things that are important. It's complex, it's precise, and it's good. He said it's good. It's complex, which shows us his power. I mean, the complexity of creation is almost hard to imagine. You see light in your sky at night that took Hundreds of years to get to you. It's that the universe is that vast. We're still figuring it out. We keep peeling the onion. Folks, we didn't know there were germs until about 150 years ago. I mean, think about that. We just keep seeing more and more of God. We figured out DNA structures. We figured out a century ago how to split an atom and the power that's there. I mean, God's creation is unbelievable complex. And even scientists that study the world, biology, every, every ology you can think of, right? And they have a word for it. It makes them uncomfortable. And there's a real term for it, and it's called intelligent design. They have to have a term that goes, yes, it looks like it was made. We don't think it was. But we'll admit it looks like it was. Well, that is an interesting place to be, isn't it? So God made a complex creation, tells you of his power, but it's also precise. The earth tilts one way a little bit, we freeze, tilts the other way a little bit, we burn up. No pressure. <laughs> and there really is no pressure since you can't control it. 
but he does. Precise, precision points to the glory of God. But not only that, God said it's good. See, creation shows what he can do. It also shows who he is. It's good. C.S. Lewis captured this. You do know that God didn't have to make everything good. He did. Why, why are things beautiful? Creation's telling you about him. What kind of God is this? Oh, he must be a good God. To give us streams and rivers and oceans and waves and breezes and birds and, and cows. Ice cream, cheese, steak, leather jackets, shoes. Cow walks in like everything good in the world comes off of that thing. Milk, creamer for your coffee. I could go on and on and on. Cheese. Then we could get into cheddar cheese, which, I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying. God's good. He's made beautiful, wonderful things. Not only that, Jesus, when telling us how we as believers in this great God should operate in the world, how we should treat one another, he used creation to give us an example, if we're going to be like God, how we have to be. Look at this. He said, you've heard it said, and watch this, isn't this true? He said, this is how we normally operate as humans. You shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Isn't that how we roll? If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If not, I'm going to blow you up on Facebook. You know, that's how we roll. Jesus said, but I say to you, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Well, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He's not saying to be saved, you got to do this. He's saying if you want to represent God well, if you want to look, if you want to represent the family, then you got to act like God. And he doesn't roll that way. And look what he says about how creation works. For he makes his son. I love that line, his son. Like, we're talking about the ball of fire hanging in the universe there, keeping you warm, making plants grow and stuff. Jesus says, it's his son. Like, I grew up on, at least my granddad had property. Like, we had 200 acres. I have a lot. I got a little square with a tree on it. Like, I don't even have, you can't even say I got property. I have a yard. Okay? <laughs> Jesus says, that is his. That is his son. That's astounding. It's possessive. It's his son. And he says, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, he's saying creation doesn't just tell you he's powerful. The way creation functions tells you he's kind. Because the person that's out there right now foolishly saying there is no God and rejecting God, God lets the cool breezes blow on his face too. God lets the rain fall on his gardens too. He gets to enjoy the sunrise and the sunset as well. And what that says is God is good. Folks, if you want to talk about God being a mean and cruel God and all that, God must be unbelievably kind that he's not wiped us all off the earth already with our rebellion. That's the truth. And instead it rains. And the sun shines, and the breezes blow, and the mountains stand in their glorious beauty, and the ocean waves crash in a chorus of praise to God. And babies are still born, and puppies are still cute. Birds still chirp in springtime. Because God's just good. That's who he is. And we... It literally should inform how I treat people. Because when I want to get mad at the person who didn't check me out correctly at Walmart and missed something or whatever, I want to get upset. I got to remember that, well, wait a minute. God lets his son rise and fall. you following it? And Jesus says, here's who you got to be. Not only that, 
God clearly, creation has a function to reveal God. God clearly reveals himself to all humans, all humans. The tribes in the middle of a mountain range that never heard anything, you've got that question. All humans, God reveals himself to them through history, the human conscience, and creation. History, you can't look at history and not see the hand of God in it. If you look at it for a minute, you'll see it. The preservation of Israel, the fact that the sun keeps burning, and no matter what goes on on this earth, sun's going to rise and set. Isn't that one of our little things we say? Well, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the sun's going to set and the sun's going to rise. Well, that tells you that God has providence. It's still rolling the way he wants it to roll, no matter what. Also, the human conscience. You were born with this thing inside of you. You knew right and wrong. It's embedded inside of you. Your dog doesn't. The cat surely don't. There it is. There it is. Didn't think I could get it in, but there it is. But you know right and wrong. The human conscience screams out in his creation, there is a God. How do you explain it? It's It's inexplicable. And then creation itself to all humans. The Bible tells us God created us. And it tells you at the same time how we're to interact with creation. Look what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then here's a little bit of clarity in our culture today. Male and female, he created them. Yeah. And hey, hey, and that's not said, let me make clear, that's not said as a shot in any way. God lovingly gives us clarity. And I understand that our world's a a really tough world. But we don't in any way send barbs out there. We love, we love people. And we want to say, here's, here's our record of our origin story includes male and female. It's a beautiful thing. And God blessed them. This is what, God blesses his creative order. You can come up with whatever you want. This is what God blesses. His creation. His creative order. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And watch this. This is how we interact with creation. And subdue it and have dominion over it. It doesn't mean abuse creation. It doesn't mean misuse creation. In fact, we're to be stewards of it like Adam in the garden we'll look at next week. We're to take care of it. We're to enjoy it more than anyone else. But it is there for us. God gave us creation to subdue and have dominion over And that's what we're supposed to do. We would say creation is a doorway to do a few things. To explore, to discover, to leverage. That's what what it means to subdue. To appreciate, my goodness, to enjoy and worship. That's what we're supposed to do. What does it mean to subdue and take dominion over creation? Well, it's not just to go, look, we're humans and everything else is beneath us. Well, we already know that, that we're the apex of creation. The Bible tells you that. Subduing looks like 5,000 plus years of people sneezing their heads off and then in a lab somewhere, a really smart doctor creates Zyrtec. He created it not out of, he had materials God gave him. He didn't create it out of nothing. But he took this creation God gave him, put some stuff together and gave us the gift of allergy medicine. It's when an oncologist comes up with a more effective chemo treatment that doesn't kill your whole body but goes right for the cancer. That is God-glorifying. It's when a teacher teaches a child that there's laws of mathematics and 2 plus 2 is going to equal 4 no matter what and you can depend on it. That teacher, without even knowing it, is showing a kid the glory of God and how God made everything with precision. Do you see where I'm going with this? So we are to subdue and leverage. When you create, when you build a house, when you decorate, 
you're pointing to who God is. Creation tells us who God is, and we get to act like him, even though we're not him, and we don't do it exactly like him. When we create, and we all do, when you make a beautiful meal, when you paint a a piece of art, when you play music, when you write a song, when you write a poem, when you write a letter, when you put letters together to say something beautiful to someone, you're acting like you're God. You're reflecting his glory, and it is beautiful. When you organize money and resources to do good things for your community, you are leveraging what God gave you for his glory and the good of those around you. These are beautiful, beautiful things. And Christians, above all others, should see it and recognize it. When The first time I went on a date with my wife, Nan, I went to her apartment picked her up and when I walked into her apartment it told me something about her it was so it was like she's a great interior decorator and even as a broke college student her apartment was awesome if you came to me and my buddy's apartment it was awful you know what I mean I mean it was like not decorated nicely I mean we famously we had a friend that worked at Crystal's and uh you know the the beautiful uh very high-end burger place Crystal and and he, his girlfriend worked there, and when she would get off at night, she, they would let her take all the leftover crystals, put them in a bag, and bring them to us. And we'd put them in the freezer. <laughs> Pop that thing, I'm telling you, a crystal, 10 seconds in a microwave, you have gourmet-level nutrition. It was awesome. And we told him, hey, he kind of got sideways with her one day. We all sat him down in the living room like, here's the deal. You will not break up with her until we're done with college. All right, pal? We got to eat, baby. I go, to, I go to Nan's place, it's beautiful, and it told me something about her. And creation tells us something about God. You look around, and you're like, man, he's good and great and precise. He's awesome. Creation's a doorway. But it's also a doorway that's supposed to lead us, if we don't reject him, if we don't ignore him. And if you're not a believer today, this is how creation should function for you. It should be a magnetic pull pulling you towards specific revelation about who God is. God wants the world to say to you, there is a God, and he wants to then introduce himself to you. So that no one would perish and everyone would have everlasting life. But we reject what creation is saying to us so clearly. Paul wrote about it in a very stunning and astounding way. In Romans 1, 19, 23, we'll land the plane here. Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Them is people who reject God. He said, you can know who God is. It's plain to them. Well, how? Well, he says, because God's shown it to them. How? Well, he's shown them his invisible attributes, his eternal power. Remember I told you creation tells you God's powerful and he's good. He says it here, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So this isn't new. He's always done this. And here's how. In the things that have been made, God tells every human that he exists and that he's good and that he's powerful in creation for every human being that's ever breathed air. And look what he says. Although they knew God. In other words, here's another astounding statement. Every human who's ever lived knew there was a God. Everyone. See, you can reject God. You can reject the, and ignore the message of creation, but you can't escape it. It's inescapable. And look at this. He says, 
They've been clearly made. These things, they clearly tell us who God is. Watch this. So they are without excuse. What an astounding phrase. What does that mean? It means that there'll never be a human who can stand before God, and we all will. You cannot stand in front of God and say, if I just would have known you were there. God has taken that off the table. Paul says, creation is so clear and so loud, no human has an excuse to have not listened to the voice of God through creation. So, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. They didn't give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. This is where ignoring what's all around you does. It makes you futile in your thinking. Your foolish hearts become darkened. We claim to be wise. We're really fools. We exchange the glory of God for the, uh, for the images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. See, write it down. Creation removes all excuses for the human rejection of God. There is no excuse. We live in a cathedral of his glory every day of our lives, however long or short they are. There is no excuse to not step into the glory of God, see who he really is. And my hope today is if you're a Christian, I challenge you to stop looking at the world around you the same. Become an observer of the glory of God, an acknowledger of it, and a celebrator of it. And if you're a non-believer today, I hope you'll believe in him. Specific revelation, God gave his life for you. If you believe upon him, you will be saved. And I pray that you would today. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to listen to the voice and creation and the voice of your revelation and your word. Today, I pray that we would hear you, that we'd listen, that we'd act on it. In Jesus' name, amen.